How many of you love a good story? Anybody? You just love a good story. Let's, any confessional here tonight? How many of you have got the Hallmark Channel playing 24-7 right now? Yeah. Last night, I, I called my wife uh, l- late last night. I think it was around 10 o'clock, and I was just checking in on her and the kids. I said, so what are you doing? She goes, well, watching a Hallmark movie, you know? We love those movies. We love good stories. Christmas is the season of good stories. We love the, the feelings that it gives us, the warm, cozy, fuzzy feelings inside. We love good stories. We also love to tell stories, do we not? For instance, like, other than eating... Like, what do you do with your friends? Anybody? You tell stories, right? I mean, maybe, maybe I have different friends than you. But we, we get together and we tell a lot of stories. Or how many of you have children and uh, you've tried to tell them what your childhood was like? What do you do, right? Like, you tell them stories. Like, my daughter is getting, like, she's two and a half now. She's starting to understand things better. And I'm starting to tell her things about my life when I was your age, Eden. But, I'm, but in order to do that, I tell her a story. Stories are powerful to our lives, are they not? And the reason they're so powerful is that we often look at our lives in the context of a story. Does that make sense? Uh, Like one of my favorite authors, N.T. Wright, says this. He says, story is the best way that we make sense of the world. That we see our lives part of a larger story. And that story is defining our lives. It's dictating our values. It's even telling us what our future is going to be. That's how powerful stories can be. In fact, uh, stories are so powerful that they move people to action, don't they? Isn't that what stories do? How many of you remember like two years ago that thing called the Ice Bucket Challenge? Anybody? Yeah. Do you know where that all began? It began with a guy going on Facebook Live, telling a story about his buddy who had ALS and then dumping a bucket of ice water on his head. And it became a viral movement. That story just, it, it has raised over $100 million today, That's, it's just, which is quite incredible, isn't it? Stories also tend to hold us together. For instance, um, I grew up in the States, and some of you may know this, I don't know, but we tend to be a little bit patriotic south of the border. Um, And every July 4th, which is our Independence Day, uh, you can see this uh, on TV. All you got to do is flip on the television, and every channel, all day, it's just movie after movie, like war movies, like The Patriot, Saving Private Ryan. All of these movies are playing, and the reason they do this is to remind us that our lives are part of a larger story, That, that, that our life isn't isolated unto itself, that we are part of something grander and much more powerful that is shaping us and moving us and dictating our lives and defining our values and defining our future. We all, we all live in a bigger story. Do you agree with that? And there's a lot of stories out there competing for your life right now. There's the story of consumerism, which says what I have is going to make me happy. There's the story of humanism, which is the story of I am going to make me happy. 
Like, there's all these political stories in the world going on right now. Like, I was just watching the news as I was eating breakfast this morning, and, like, there's people over in Europe who are ticked at Donald Trump, right? Because it's one political story against another political story. There's the story of democracy. There's the story of communism. There's the story of Marxism. There's the story of imperialism. There's the story of monarchy, which is what we have in Canada, right? So there's all of these stories competing for our lives, and in the middle of history comes this tiny little story that these shepherds began to tell. It's the story of Jesus. But the age-old question is this. Can we trust it? Like, is it legit? Is it trustworthy? You know, I would contend that the story of Jesus has been the most scrutinized and questioned story in all of history. But at the same time, the story of Jesus is, is, is one that we have the most curiosity about. Would you agree with that? I mean, just look like the last 10 years. Look at media, for instance. Look at the fact that over the last 10 years, there, there have been more movies, more TV shows, more books, more articles written about the life of Jesus. Here's a homework assignment for you. Go home today, flip on Netflix, and just count how many there are. Like, we are intrigued by the story of Jesus. We're captivated by it. It's actually a quite popular thing right now, but the real question that people have is, can you really trust it? And how can you be sure that you can trust it? Is it reliable? Because let's face it, right? There are some things, there are some stories that are just too good to be true. Anybody ever fall for one of those? Like I was thinking this past week, my wife and I, when we went on our honeymoon to uh, the Dominican Republic, uh, we went there uh, our first day and walked up, and this like really sweet co- worker there, she welcomed, welcomed us to the resort, was telling us where everything was, here's the restaurants, there's your room, there's where the beach is, there's where you go for the pool. And then she happened to tell us this little nugget uh, that she just, made, she just made a point of telling us. She said, hey, listen, uh, there's one more thing else you need to know. Uh, you, you have a chance of getting a free gift and another six days stay free here. If you go visit, I'm going to say his name, I don't remember it, but his name's Pedro, okay? Like, if you go see Pedro at this place tomorrow at 10 o'clock, if you go there, free gift and a chance to stay here for another week. I'm like, oh, that sounds good. All right. So my wife and I, we went the next day, our first day on our honeymoon. This was a stupid idea, by the way. We go, we go and we meet Pedro, and we sit there in this, in this like, nice condo, and wouldn't you know it, what they're trying to do is sell us a timeshare, And we sat there for like half a day listening to this pitch for our condo that we didn't want to receive a gift, which was a beach towel we didn't need. And I remember like we were walking down the beach and I'm like, never, ever again. We are not doing it. We are not falling for that again, right? And and the thing is, is that we've all been duped. And we've all learned that just because something sounds good doesn't mean it's true. And, and, and 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 I want us to just park here for just a second. I want us to consider that for a moment because when you step into the arena of culture, when you step into the mind of a skeptic, this is how people think about the story of Jesus. Like people think the story of Jesus is, is a good story, but it's not real. It's a fairy tale. Or I hear this, this is a common thing too. You know, you know, Jesus did a lot of wonderful things that we can emulate in our lives, but we can't believe in that. We can't place our life on that. I just had this conversation with a guy in Halifax this past week. We were sitting down, and we were talking about faith. 
And we got into like a whole bunch of different conversations about all sorts of faith um, and different types of faith. And when I mentioned the name Jesus, like he just like, you could see this physical like reaction. Like he kind of looked at me and kind of smirked and said like, you really believe in that? Like, you really believe in that fairy tale? And some of you are like, what? Really people believe this? Yeah, they do. In fact, one of the most popular theories today in our world is that Jesus was actually made up. The story of Jesus was just a myth. That these, these disciples, this small group, these you know, band of brothers decided to co- concoct a story of a cosmic Messiah so that they could gain political leverage in the Roman Empire. This is what people believe. Some of you are looking at me like, what, are you serious? Do you know that in 2004, the number one bestseller was a book called Pagan Christ right here in Canada, and it was propagating this idea that the majority of our culture believes that the, the story of Jesus is unreliable, it's made up, you can't, you can't take it at face value, there's a hidden agenda, it's not the greatest story ever told, in fact, it's the greatest story ever sold, and what I want to suggest to you today is that there is overwhelming evidence that speaks otherwise, that you can trust the story of Jesus. And, I, and I, I'm praying and believing that if you're here today and you're a skeptic, that you'll be convinced that you can trust this story. And what I want to do is I want to give you three reasons to trust today. And there are multiple reasons to trust. Uh, we don't have time to get in, in all of those today. But I want to give you three of the biggest reasons. And again, uh, Pastor Brent said last week that this is sort of a different series than we normally have. And so I, I want to appeal to your mind. I want to appeal to your logic. And we're going to step outside of Scripture for just a second. Um, but I, I want you to hang with me for just a moment, okay? Because the first reason that you can trust the story of Jesus is this. History supports Jesus. Like, history supports Jesus. And I would contend that not only does it support Jesus, it actually proves that Jesus exists. That he was and is an actual person in history. Last week, Pastor Brent talked about science. I I call him the science guy now. I'm the history guy. Anybody here? Like, any history buffs here? Uh-oh, there's like two of you. That's not good. Right? I, was the, I was the guy that we went on family vacations to like historical sites. Anyways, I love history. So I want to just, we're going to geek, geek out for just a, a few minutes, but I want to show you how overwhelming the evidence for Jesus actually is, okay? And, and how you know it's reliable in history. And the first question you need to ask is this, is there evidence that Jesus actually existed? Like, are there documentations around the time that Jesus was alive that suggest that he, he lived, that he walked, that he was breathing? And the answer to that is yes. Through things like archaeology and digs and actually people hanging out in caves and finding like scrolls and papyrus and all of these things, they have, they have found evidence that supports the fact that Jesus did actually exist. So if you're here today and you're saying, I don't know if there's evidence, there is evidence, but here's another question that people are asking. How do you know that what has been written down on that evidence is accurate? Like, how do you know it's true? How can you trust it? Because we all know how stories work, don't we? Right? Stories change over time. Like, I really caught a fish like a minnow this big, but by the time you find out, it's like a sailfish like this big, right? 
I mean, stories over time can be embellished. They can be fabricated. So how do you know in history that something is reliable? How do you know that something is ask, uh, accurate? And so I want us to think for a historian for just, just a minute. Some of you are like, oh, no, this is going to get boring. No, I, this is going to go somewhere, so stay with me. I want us to think like a historian. And I wanna, there are two things that a historian is looking for, okay? He's looking for quality of documentation, And he's also looking for quantity of documentation, all right? Let's start with quality first. Quality in history is measured by age, all right? If you want to authenticate something in history, older is better. You want something that's really old. Older is trustworthy. Now, I want to illustrate this for you so that you can see this. I'm a visual learner. Let's put us here. We're 2017 here. This is the time of Jesus, A.D., 33. Here's history in between. And so what you're looking for, for quality of evidence, you want something older. So you want something further away from 2017 and something closer to AD 33. All right. When you are finding evidence that's further away from the time that you're trying to, 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 to build a case for, it is actually a cause to be skeptical. So new evidence is actually a reason to be skeptical, right? So that's the first thing, quality. But you also want quantity. You want a lot of things. A lot is good. And the reason you want a lot is because you want to make sure all the stories line up, that they are accurate, that there's not like a whole host of stories saying this and another whole host of stories saying that. And so you are looking for things that are old and you're looking for a lot of stuff. All right, are you with me still? Now, let's tease this out for just a moment. I want to give you a few examples in history of what historians say is reliable, okay? There is this writing. Here's the first one. There is this writing by Aristotle, and historians have five copies of it, okay, that are dated 1,100 years from the original. Five copies, 1,100 years apart from the original time of Aristotle. And historians say, that's accurate. That's their measure, okay? Here's another one. Uh, Julius Caesar's Gaelic Wars. Sounds like a good Christmas gift. (laughs) Anyways, uh, they have eight copies of it, eight, that are a thousand years from the original. All right? Are you you catching this with me, right? Eight copies, thousand years. Historians say that's reliable. Now, the Iliad, some of you read that in English class, did you not? By Homer? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah, if you have trouble sleeping tonight, just open that book, start reading it. It's terribly boring. Anyways, uh, they have 1,500 copies, 1,500 copies of the Iliad and 800 years after the original is written. And, and by the way, the Iliad is known as one of the most reliable sources in all of antiquities. Like, that's it. That's the measure. That's what we're looking for, something like that. All right, now, what about the Gospels? What about the story of Jesus? Listen to this. They have 5,500 copies within 15 to 25 years of Jesus' life. 5,500 copies. That's four times as more as the Iliad. That's just, that's just mind-blowing when you, when, when you consider evidence in history. Let me put this in a perspective for you. This, uh, the work of Aristotle, those four copies or five copies, if you were to stack them on top of each other, they would stand this high. And historians look at that and they say, a thousand years apart, that is reliable. 
But if you were to take all the evidence for the story of Jesus and stack it on top of each other, it would raise as high as a mile. And so when we get into the, into the arena of history, the amount of historical evidence for the existence of Jesus is totally overwhelming. In fact, uh, there is more evidence for Jesus than any other person in all of antiquities. And, and, and on top of that, historians have found that it's 99.9% per, 9, accurate. Like even the Bible talks about this. I find this so fascinating. Uh, Luke, the guy that we've been reading this story, the story of Jesus out of, he says this in Luke chapter one, verse one. He says, Many people, listen, many people have set out to write uh, accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. Many people have done this. And we're, and we're doing this and we're, we're, doing, we're being very accurate with what we're telling you. Many people, I did a Greek study on the word many and sure enough, it means many, right? It's not like, it, we're not talking a few people. Actually, the word many here. Uh, it, it goes to the, to, to the side of countless. Like what Luke is saying is that there's so many people that are writing about the life of Jesus because he's actually walking and he's existing in front of us that we just don't know. We've actually lost count. And this is even more fascinating is that there are people in history who wanted nothing to do with Jesus, who saw his life so compelling that they even wrote about them him. I find that amazing. Historians have found 10 people in history to write about Jesus who weren't even friends to Christianity. Guys like Josephus, Pliny, Tacitus. And so when you enter into the historical scholarship, it is agreed across the board, both liberal and conservative, that it is absolutely bogus to believe that the idea of, the, of Jesus and Jesus in the Gospels is a myth. To suggest that Jesus isn't real is, is at the same level as saying man never walked on the moon. In fact, uh, true story, Buzz Aldrin, uh, the second guy to walk on the, the, the moon after Neil Armstrong, was confronted by a guy one day who was challenging him on this, saying, hey, you know, was that real? And Buzz, the story goes, I guess the story is, is that Buzz didn't say anything. What he did is just cocked his fist back and punched him in the face. And that's what historians are saying about the existence of Jesus. Like, you are absolutely insane to believe that the man didn't exist. In fact, uh, one of the leading historians who was an agnostic turned Christian because he studied the history, a guy by the name of Josh McDowell writes this. He says, the idea that a few simple men should in one generation have invented so powerful and appealing a personality so lofty an ethic and so inspiring a vision of human brotherhood would be a miracle far more incredible than any recorded in the Gospels. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying it's absolutely crazy. Like there is support in history that Jesus does exist. And there's so much to be said about this. We're only scratching the surface, but we got to continue on. Here's number two. A reason to trust number two is this. And I think this is an even more compelling reason is that people died for the story of Jesus. Like people gave their life for Jesus. Listen, if you want to know if something's true, put pressure on it. Because truth will always hold up to pressure. But when you put pressure on a lie, a lie will always collapse, won't it? And when we read in the New Testament, uh, we see people are feeling intense pressure. I mean, lots of pressure. 
I mean, these, these people who are going around telling the story of Jesus, these are people being thrown into prison, people who are being put in arenas, being like torn apart by lions, people whose kids are being dragged out onto the street. I mean, these are people who are experiencing intense pressure. And yet these are the same people who are going out on the streets and finding sick and diseased people and touching them and caring for them, catching their disease and dying from it. And the only explanation that people have is that these were people who just weren't afraid of death. And we're not even talking about a few people, church. We're talking about not even a hundred people. We're talking about thousands and even millions of people. And, and, and maybe you're asking the question, why do you trust that? Because of this, people don't die for a lie. Like you may die for a lie that you think is true, but you wouldn't die for a lie that you made up. Like, I mean, let's think, what if we all got together and we just said, hey, we're going to lie, we're going to create this myth, and then we're just going to go die for it. No, because the moment that they start to, like, get the skittle or, 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 or get you uh, on, a, uh, on a bed to, to, to burn you up or to tie you to a stake or to drag your kid out into the streets or, or even to, like, cut your hands off or your fingers off, when you get to that moment, you would say, oh, no, 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 wait a second. We made it up. We totally lied. But we are told that nobody says this. Nobody even does that. And the only explanation is that they saw their leader risen from the dead. Like this is what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, if Christ has not been raised, he says, then your faith is useless and we are still guilty of our sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, listen to this, he says, we're the most pitied people in all the world. He's like, if this isn't true, you have a right to look down on us and pity us. I mean, look at us. We're the ones being like ripped apart here. But notice what he says in verse 20. He says, but in fact, here it is. It is true. It is fact. Christ has been raised from the dead. Paul is saying, yes, it happened. It's legit. And some might say, well, you know, I'm, Paul said this, people can say a lot of things, doesn't mean it's true, but consider the source for a moment. This is Paul. And if you don't know Paul's story, you should read the book of Acts. And if you don't want to read the book of Acts, you can go on our YouTube page. We did three years on the book of Acts. You can watch his whole story online if you'd like to. But Paul, listen to this, Paul is known as the biggest skeptic in all of the New Testament. And this guy is saying, hey, yeah, it's legit. And not only is he the biggest skeptic, this is the guy who's doing the persecuting. This is the guy who's going around and dragging people into the streets. This is a guy who is there to, to give approval in Acts chapter 9 of the death of the very first Christian martyr. This guy, this guy who's been killing people, this guy who's the greatest skeptic, this guy who's been fighting it the whole time, he has a revelation and he says, yep, it is a fact. I am completely convinced of this. So to the point that he goes from a persecutor to being persecuted himself. Like, who would choose pain for something? In fact, this is what he talks about in, 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 in a letter to Timothy. He says this. He says, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead? He said, this is my gospel now. This is my story now for which I'm suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. And it begs us to ask the question, what would cause a person like Paul 
to go from a persecutor of the story of Jesus to a preacher of the story of Jesus? Like, what would cause a person to go from killing Christians to actually being willing to to be killed for Christ? And not just Paul. We're talking hundreds and thousands and even millions of people who are willing to choose death rather than recanting their faith in the story of Jesus. People are willing to embrace pain for this. I mean, if you re- I don't know if you've ever read some of the stories of the martyrs, but they're absolutely incredible. I mean, there's, there's stories of people that are tied and getting ready to be burned publicly, and these are the dudes, these are the guys who are looking down to the guy lighting the match and saying, I, fig- I forgive you in Jesus' name. Like, there's stories of like, Whole host of people. Sometimes they did this in, a, in like communities of, of Christians. They gather them together and they, they, they build this big fire. And, and there's stories of like, as the flames are, are coming up and enveloping their bodies, there's stories that these people in one accord are singing praise to Jesus. Like, the, the, I don't know if you've ever heard of the guy named Polycarp. He's one of our church fathers. He was burned at the stake in the second century. And eyewitnesses say, that when his body was burning, the aroma around the area of the burning post did not smell like burning flesh. But there was a sweet incense that was coming from his body. And you begin to ask yourself the question, like, you would, why would people do that? Because you wouldn't die for a lie. You would die for something that you trust, for something that you believe, for someone who has said, I have conquered death. And this is the third reason as to why you can trust the story of Jesus. It's because Jesus showed up in their life. He encountered them. The Bible says that Jesus died on a a Roman cross in Jerusalem and that he was buried, he was put in a tomb, and three days later, he rose from the dead, and that people saw him. In fact, there were multiple appearances of Jesus. Uh, If you read the gospel uh, accounts, even at the end of the gospel accounts, there's this scene in an upper room, and there's this guy named Thomas, who's a doubting Thomas, and he's he's there, and and the Bible says that Jesus just shows up, and he says, like, peace be with you, and they're, they're freaking out, and they're afraid, and, and the Bible says that the disciples saw Jesus and they thought he was a ghost. Like, that was their story. That, that was what they were going to go with. Actually, guys, we saw the ghost of Jesus. That was crazy until they realized it was actually him. And this wasn't, and like, Jesus didn't just appear to a few people. He actually appeared to, uh, the Bible says, to 500 people at one time. At, at, in, in multiple locations. He just, he, just appear, he just started showing up and appearing in all of these different places. And people were saying, there he is. I see him. I know him. I've, I, it's legit. I've, I've got him. And there's so many theories out there. And it's crazy, church. There's theories out there that people are trying to propagate to explain this away. Like there's one theory that's called like the swoon theory. That Jesus didn't actually die on the cross, but that he, like, he, he just passed out. And so when they put him in the tomb and, after, and, and being all wrapped up, that he gained enough strength to like unravel himself from the, from the grave clothes and then had, had enough power to remove this giant stone away from, away from the entrance of the cave. Then he defeated the Roman guard and then he just, he just came out and just appeared to people. There's another one that, like, there's another theory that, like, it's crazy that, like, the early church was so grieved by the death of Jesus that everyone just started having hallucinations. 
that it wasn't really Jesus, but they're just hallucinating. And you can debate, we can debate what happened here all we want. But if you really want to trust, you want a reason to trust, let me give you this. Jesus didn't just encounter people then, he's still encountering people today. And it's amazing the stories that we hear. Like there are places in the world right now that if you mention the name Jesus, it is a capital crime. Your sentence is to be dragged in the street and to have your, your throat slit. And it's, it's, it's death. People are not allowed to talk about Jesus. It, he is being suppressed. He's being repressed. And yet there are reports that are coming in from other parts of the world that in, in the middle of, of nights and in the middle of the night, Jesus is actually appearing to people in visions and dreams and making himself known to them and encountering people and expressing his love to people. So much so, there's stories that the, there are villages that are having dreams, and it's not one person having a dream. The whole village has a dream the same night. And Jesus is appearing, and he's encountering people. And people are starting to, to, to put their trust and to put their belief in, in, in who Jesus is. And some of you might be here today and saying, you know what, um, I'm pretty skeptical of that because I've never seen Jesus show up in my life. He's never showed up in my room in the middle of the night. But let me, can I, I just want to suggest to you that Jesus still encounters people today, but he also does it in a variety of ways. Just because you don't see someone doesn't mean they aren't there, Right? It doesn't mean you still can't feel the effects of him or know that he's, he's present. Like, like when I'm at home, my wife might be in another floor. And even though I don't see her, like I still know she's there. Like I still see her fingerprints, things that she's left behind. And some of you can attest to this. And, and I believe that Jesus does the same thing in our lives. And some of you have testimonies like this, that, that you've been in circumstances of your life. You've been, you know, you've been in stages of your life where God showed up and you didn't see him, but you knew he was there. Anybody? Amen. Yeah. The Bible says, Jesus says, hey, blessed are you who don't see me and still believe. Some of you have been in seasons where you've been lonely and, and in, in a bad place, and all of a sudden, and you just can't explain it, you just know that God is present in, in, the, in your midst because you feel this rush of love in your heart, right? Or maybe you've been in a season of, like, depression or anxiety, and all of a sudden, like, one day, you're praying, and you feel that peace in your life. You feel that peace come in your heart. Some of you have been tired and, and sick and, and weak and, and you're thinking, I can't go another day. And yet somehow you step out and it's almost like someone is behind you carrying you, right? There's new strength. There's renewed strength for your life. How many of you have ever experienced anything like that? I know time and time again, I can share in my own life, my own testimony, where I knew God was present. I didn't see him, but I just knew he was there. For instance... When I, was a, when I was a kid, I, I struggled to, uh, I had a time in my life where I struggled with, with trusting Jesus in my life. Like I grew up in the church, I, I grew up in the church my whole life, and uh, you know, born to a, you know, a, a pastor's house, and went to church, but I really started to, to distrust Jesus, because at 11 years of age, the summer of my 11th year, 
my mom was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And uh, that was hard on us, especially people of faith. And we, we sat there and we began to watch her body like literally decay. And I remember, um, I remember for that year, like we prayed and we were praying hard. And there were private times, private moments in my heart, in my life at 11 years of age saying, God, I'm trusting you, but I don't see you working. I don't see you moving right now in my life. We had thousands of people praying for her. And yet, as day went, every day went by, she got weaker and weaker and weaker. And as she got weaker, my trust got smaller and smaller and smaller. I remember two weeks before she passed, my dad came in and he said, Seth, it's the end's coming. The night she died, uh, I was at home. She was in one room. I was in the other room. About 11 o'clock at night. And uh, my dad came in and he was emotional and he was there to give me the bad news. Son, your, your mom's gone. And we just sat there. And we just held each other. And of course the grief overtook us and, and it was difficult and it was hard. And for an 11-year-old kid who just wanted to trust Jesus, like I knew about him, I understood him, I read, his, I read the Bible, I did all of these things, but like, God, like, why don't you show up? Where are you in this? And as we were sitting there, I, I looked at my dad and I said, Dad, tell me something. Tell me that he's got her. Tell me that. And he said, son, he doesn't just have her. He also has you. And church, as God is my witness, there was someone greater that came into our house that, that night. And there was a peace that descended upon our home and upon our room and upon my heart. And it was so powerful, that moment. It was such a powerful experience, so powerful, the peace that came into our house. Within an hour of hearing the news, everyone was asleep in the house because there was this, there was this feeling that Oh my God, you're here. You, you've come. You've encountered us. And listen, some of you might be listening and some of you might be here today and, and you want me to try to explain that to you in scientific terms. Or you want me to try to like uh, help you get that in, in your head. And the truth is, I, I don't know how to do that. I really do not know how to do that. All I can do is tell you my story. 
All I can say is, I know what happened. I know what I felt. I I saw it with my own eyes. I saw the evidence that God had encountered our family that night. All I can give you is my testimony. But that's what the gospel is, is it not? Listen, the gospel is not a bunch of facts for you to investigate. The gospel is a person to behold and to believe. And some of you might be here today and you're struggling to say, well, I I don't know if I can trust this. I don't understand it. I I don't get it. You know why Jesus has encountered you? Listen, Jesus has encountered you. He has appeared to you. He has come to you, not so that you get him right, but so that he can get you right. You see, this is why the gospel is such good news. Among all other stories that are competing for your life and for your attention right now, because every other storyline says this, they put you at the center of the problem of the world and the solution of the world. And and as we've seen throughout all of history, we continue to try to find ways to improve ourselves. We try to reinvent ourselves. We try to save ourselves. And the more we attempt to do it, to do something that only God can do, we still can confront the problems of oppression, slavery, war, uh, disdain, poverty, all of these things, history continues to repeat itself. C.S. Lewis says this, he says, it's the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. But the reason the gospel is so good and why we can trust it is because there is a problem in the world and it's called sin. But it's good news because God is the solution. God has encountered us. God has broken into history. And when he has come, he brought all of heaven with us, with him. And he says, he even says this in John, he says, he says, he says this himself, he says, I've come, I've encountered you, I've appeared to you so that you may have life, so that you can have a, a better life, so that you can have a life that you've always wanted, so that you can have eternal life, so that you can have life to the full. Listen, if you're here today and you're a skeptic of Christianity, let me tell you something about Jesus. Jesus is not here trying to sell you something. He's not Pedro. He's trying to give you everything. He's given his life for you. He's given you the ability to have all the joy that you could ever need. He's given you uh, the ability to have a peace that conquers grief. He's given you a life and, and an assurance that even when death strikes your home, he's got it. You can trust him because he's alive, because he's risen from the dead. And it's not just good, it's new, the Bible says. Paul says this, he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things are passed away, but behold, new things have come. The newness of life, the newness of fresh joy, the newness of, man, it just takes the pressure off knowing that I don't have to come up with a solution anymore, but God has got it. That's why it's good news. And maybe you're here today and you're still asking questions. Can I really trust this story? I still want hard, tangible evidence. And let me just, can I just, let's just tease this out for just a moment right here in this space. If that's you here today, let me say this. You want evidence? Just look around you right now. Look at the hundreds of people raising hands, singing praises, 
lifting up the name of Jesus. You want evidence? Look at the testimony of the people around you right now. And you say, well, how, what's going on with these people? Listen, these people that you see have found that Jesus is greater is a greater encounter than anything else they've ever encountered in their life. And he is transforming their life. And church, we are witnessing even now, not just a few people being transformed, but hundreds of people being transformed all across our campuses and all across the city. If you want evidence that, that you can trust Jesus, that it is good news, just look around you right now. And God wants to do the same for you. He wants to transform your life. We can debate evidence all we want. We can debate facts. We can talk about dates. We can talk about documentation. All you want. But you cannot debate a transformed life. You can't. And God wants to transform your life today. If God is speaking to you, if Jesus is encountering you in this moment, I want to invite you to to step in, to receive him. Listen, like... There's no onus on your part. That's the amazing thing about the gospel. The gospel's meant to be received, not studied, <laughs> right? You don't have to figure it out. Jesus just appears and says, here I am. I have everything for you, everything that you need for life and for godliness. And so I wanna invite you, I wanna invite you to take that step to, to walk with him and to, to change your story, to change the story that has been over your life and to walk in a new story one where God will do incredible, amazing things in your life. Would you stand with us today as we come to a close? And if you're here today and that is you, I'm gonna invite you to pray this with me and I'm gonna invite everyone to pray this today uh, with me. Uh, church, can we, just, can we just pray this out together? If you're here today and God is speaking to you and the Holy Spirit is working in your heart today, pray this with me. Jesus, I receive this invitation to trust you with my life. You have been proven to be trustworthy and you are faithful to your word. The evidence for your life is overwhelming. And I choose today to step into a, the gospel, a new story with the promise of new life and a new hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you're here today and this, maybe that's the first time you've prayed that prayer, I want to invite you. We want to celebrate that because the Bible says that when we pray, when we, when we step that line, when we enter into that new place with Jesus, that we step from a story of death to a story of life. And if you're here today and you prayed that prayer, would you be willing just to, to slip up a hand today? Can we just celebrate can we just celebrate what God is doing right now to all of our campuses? And yeah, praise the Lord. Why don't, we, why don't we just sing and why don't we just be excited and celebrate? Because in Jesus, he changes everything, amen? He changes everything and he's transforming our lives and you cannot debate with that. It's awesome. God bless you.